Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for Hardcore Church Planting, and uh, as always, we've got a fantastic guest on this episode. So, Peyton, why don't you introduce the guest? Yeah, our guest today is Sam Chand, and he has quite an amazing uh, biography. We're going to be talking to him about his book today. It is called Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth. Again, it's Samuel R. Chan, and uh, he, I mean, I'm looking at his biography here, and uh, he's served as a senior pastor, a college president, chancellor, president emeritus. He's a consultant a mentor, a speaker. He travels all over the place. He develops leaders. He's written books. He's got audios. Uh, but kind of one of the cool things you share in common with him, uh, Pete, is he's a PK, but he was a pastor's kid in India. So, Sam, welcome on board. Well, I'm glad to be with you. Thanks for the honor. All right. One of the uh, the first ways, Sam, that we always like to start out is to have our guests share their story of how they came to faith, and then in your case, um, how that led to you uh, doing all the leadership uh, speaking and writing that you do. So why don't you give us that and, and let us know your story? All right. I was born and raised in India in a pastor's home, and that was a real blessing that uh, I was in a home that uh, believed in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I was led to the Lord at a very early age, I believe at the age of seven, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then um, life went wrong, I grew up, I came to United States of America in 1973, at the age of 20, to uh, go to what was then known as Beulah Heights Bible College. Uh, from 1973 to 77, I served them as a breakfast cook, dishwasher, and janitor. After that, I got married, moved to, my wife and I moved to a suburb of Portland, Oregon, where we were youth pastors. In 1980, moved to Michigan, where I was a senior pastor for church in a small town called Hartford, Michigan, on the west side of Kalamazoo. And then 1989, came back to, but this time to serve them as their president. I was there from 1989 to 2003. I uh, uh, transitioned from there to do what I do now, serve the kingdom of God at large, creating resources, books, and so on, traveling, speaking, serving, consulting, coaching, whatever the Lord would have me to do. So that's a story in a nutshell. Mm. So you went from being the cook, janitor, dishwasher from your one job with that college to next being the president. Yeah, God is cool that way, isn't he? (laughs) Absolutely. That's quite a career track. I'm just and saying. The, the, moral, the story is very simple. Be good to your janitors. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> or no. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, Sam, how did you get into leadership? Well, 
I can't tell you the uh, a moment of epiphany in which uh, I said or realized uh, that I was a leader. Uh, when I was pastoring a church, I was not a good leader in the sense of I did not raise leaders. I raised a lot of followers, good followers, Christ followers and vision followers, but not necessarily leaders. When I moved from there to Heights University, which is not only the university in Atlanta, to serve as president, I realized very quickly the deficiencies that I had in uh, doing what I needed to do is to be a leader. However, you got to know in the years that I was growing up and uh, coming through even Bible college and seminary, when I went to seminary, uh, we never had a single course in leadership. Everyone talked about church growth programs, but leadership was not part of our vocabulary. Got thrust on me because of the context I was in. So I'm the biggest accident you've ever seen. Mm. I just kind of blundered my way into it, have made gazillions of mistakes, but the Lord has been good to me and I've been able to learn from my mistakes and uh, grow thereby and not helping others grow in the same way. Tell us uh, your book, Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth. Give us a, give our listeners, I should say, an overview of what this book is about and, uh, and what your purpose behind the book is. Well, this book took me about six years to write, Pete and Peyton. Uh, and I started seeing the difference between uh, pastors. So whenever you do conferences and workshops, there's always this question and answer time. And the question and answer time, a question would come up periodically and then became more incessant uh, in which, so what's the difference between the pastor of a mega church, a very large church, and pastor of a smaller church, uh, numerically speaking? And it took me a while to figure that out. And I concluded that it was not uh, preaching skills. It was not administrating skills. It was not uh, your staff. It was not your budget, it was not your location. The real difference that I noticed, because I get to work up close and personal with uh, churches of all tribes across the globe, the biggest difference I noticed was the capacity to handle pain. Mm. And so I wrote a book. The whole book is about one sentence that I take a number of pages to write. And the sentence is very simple. You will grow only to the threshold of your pain. You will grow only the threshold of your pain. And I discovered that uh, CEOs, senior pastors, leaders of larger organizations have a higher pain threshold capacity than their counterparts who are not leading larger organizations. So the, the thing that holds people back, the capacity issue really comes down to pain, not pain tolerance, but understanding pain Bracing the pain, learning from the pain, and most importantly, leveraging the pain into the area that God has called you to do. So that's a nutshell of what that book is about. You will grow only to the threshold of your pain. Mm. Your first chapter is titled Leadership Leprosy. What is that? Well, you know, I grew up in India, and we uh, leprosy... Uh, is not as prevalent as it used to be at one time, but when I was growing up, it was everywhere. You could see lepr leprous people everywhere. And leprosy is, uh, at the end of the day, a neurological disease that numbs the extremities 
like the, your ear lobes, your uh, point of your nose, your fingers, your toes. Uh, it, it numbs those areas of your body. And because it gets numbed, they start falling off, start getting bumped into, they start, the, the bad things start happening. And leadership leprosy, uh, the first chapter was because I wanted people to understand that we spend so much of our time numbing our pain, numbing our pain through denial, numbing our pain through uh, illicit activities, numbing our pain uh, through uh, uh, just blaming the devil for everything, numbing the pain by uh, uh, overworking. There's different ways of numbing the pain. And my first chapter was to say to people, hey, listen, you're in pain. You can try to numb the pain, but pain is a friend. Because if, if, uh, if you put your hand on a hot stove and you did not feel the heat, it would burn your, your hand off simply because you did not feel the pain. So leadership leprosy says, don't become a leadership leper. Understand your pain. Acknowledge the pain, don't deny the pain, embrace the pain, and then act accordingly. So that is what the chapter is about. Hmm. And I, of course, I, I tell stories I, in there about my own uh, personal pain. And, and as you know, in the book, uh, every chapter begins with at least one, sometimes two stories of people who are very, very well known all over the Christian circle that helps them understand that this is quite real. In the lives of people you see on TV and listen to their radio and read their blogs, it's a very real thing. Yeah, the book is packed with amazing quotes. And uh, the very first story, which is Craig Rochelle, um, he actually mentions it during the time where he was going through deep pain. Uh, he was listening to a sermon uh, by none other than uh, our guest today. And uh, he said he wept like a baby hearing you talk about pain. For uh, I guess he said you were preaching an hour at a at a pastor's conference, and he said he just it just broke him. He just wept. Yeah, and you know what I've found when I speak at conferences, and God has blessed me to speak on some very very uh, well known platforms. Uh, when I speak at conferences, we assume that just because people are cleaned up, dressed up, looking cool, uh, got uh, a large church, that they got it all together. What we don't realize is that the larger the church, the greater the pain. And uh, I also found out that hardly anybody was talking about it because everybody wants to get on a platform and tell success stories mm. and tell uh, tell how to overcome it, or they will or they will minimize the pain that they went through, gloss over it, and just uh, as if it was just an incident in their life rather than a formative. Uh, mm. Uh, thing that transpired that changed them forever. You know, in, in my book, I talk about the the fight that uh, Jacob had with the angel, and he after that he was walking with a limp. So, uh, and, and I talk about that. You know, you, no leader walks with a strut; every leader walks with a limp. Uh, and and I think that transparency that is needed from platforms to say, "I went through hell, but God is still faithful," is a major message that people have to embrace. So yeah, that's what Craig was talking about. I still remember where it was, when it happened, hmm. because we hmm. had dinner that night and he told me all about it. Hmm. You know, I think, um, I think actually what you just hit on there is really important for our church planners to hear because, you know, one of the things that after doing 
you know, we're over well over 160, 70 episodes between the Church Planner podcast and Hardcore Church Planning. And one of the things that I think makes us unique in what we do, as opposed to the big conferences where uh, at the conferences, like you said, it's always about the success stories. It's overcoming, you know, here's how we triumphed in this situation. But the church planners that listen to our podcasts and are with us, uh, you know, week in and week out, they know the pain of being a church planner, right? Because they're in the very beginning, they're in the the hardest uh, part in many cases of the, the their whole journey, and it's it's um, there's a lot of pain in being a church planner and and trying to lead people and you know. Would it be helpful if I talked about some of the pains that church planters go through? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, let's hear it. Uh, pretty, pretty obvious pains, but let me just at least call them out. So every church plant normally starts with friends. You have a group of friends. You call them a launch team if you want to. You can call them core team if you want to. Uh, but it's a really a group of friends that start a church together. And almost always... A few years down the road, sometimes even a few months down the road, there will be the time of separation. Mm. Uh, the, you, you hired your friends, for example, and you hired them because they were your friend and you were in relationship and, and they could take you from 50 people to 125. But at that time, they start hitting their leadership ceiling and their capacity and they're not growing themselves. And there comes the time of inevitable separation between friends. That's very, very painful. Uh, Another another painful uh, thing is the family family itself. So think about the think about the wife. Uh, if, if the if the husband is a church planter, so I'm being stereotypical here. But if the husband is a church planter, the wife has to give up a certain lifestyle. It is not her primary call. It is his primary call. It is her her vicarious call. Mm. So she is going, she's mm. moving, she is changing her lifestyle and her quality of life and their children and schools and, and all that goes with it. Uh, not because she heard from God, because he heard from God and she is supporting her husband uh, through that whole thing. Uh, church planters go through a pain of uh, what I call uh, subsiding, <laughs> uh, subsiding, uh, contributions that means if they were planted by a church you know they are they they know that pretty soon that budget is going to run out mm. uh mm. The, the support they have coming will uh, will get diminished and so mm. it's a subsiding yeah. uh, support that's going on there's always the trauma of things not moving as quickly as they ought to uh, or that quickly as you think they will be uh I know there are many, many great places that train and mentor and prepare church planters, but nobody can really prepare you for real life. Yeah, man. Uh, life is real life. You can go through great curriculum and uh, great coaches and great mentoring. And I think all that is very necessary and very needed. And we should get up if anything at all. However, nothing prepares you for, for real life and the disappointments of real life. Uh, a family walks into church and you are all excited about them. They come back two, three Sundays in a row and fifth Sunday they disappear, never to be found again. Uh, you know, the, the, the people who pledge to support you financially somehow forget their financial uh, pledges. And then how about competition? You mm -hmm. were in the same cohort group with other church planters 
and uh, you all went out to plant your churches at the same time and seems like that they are growing uh, 12 to 15 people every weekend and you're you grew to 57 and you've held there forever uh, the quality of services you you know that you can have better music better worship uh, you can have a better experience but you don't have the resources to create the experience location trying to find a location so so for church planter a church planter is signing up for stuff uh, that even navy seals should worry about you know church planting is not for faint of heart especially in the day and time we're living in right now mm. and so uh, my hats off to church planters i want to tell you i just salute every church planter for taking the leap for having the courage for making the move for going through the pain for trying to help family understand why i'm relocating your grandchildren to another state and the city <laughs> i don't have a job i don't have any money i'm just trusting the lord i mean hey, hey listen if you're trans, uh, church planter listening to me right now i need for you to know that in in the middle of it all your courageous obedience god will bless you in amazing ways church growth is not the only way that he blesses your courage he blesses you in so many different ways Amen. so if you're a church planter Amen. hats off to you you know what you're saying is so powerful and that is probably the best summary of the woes of church planning that i've ever heard the tensions and strains are you sure you're not like a blues singer? You know, you're going to like take out a steel pick and start how, how, you know, singing the blues, the church planting blues. That was pretty good. <laughs> Let me sing a little ditty about Jack yeah, and Diane. No, <laughs> Two church planting kids doing the best they can. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, hey, um, you, you made a couple. I, I mean, I love your quotes in the book. One of them you said, uh, referring to a statement you made earlier. Uh, one of the quotes in there was never trust a leader who uh, without a limp, never trust a leader who doesn't limp. And I thought that was great. But yet another quote, and I want I want to uh, ask you to unpack this a little bit. Uh, the quote was, if you're not hurting, then you're not leading. Why is it so important for leaders to understand this? Let me make it even more poignant. If you're not bleeding, you're not leading. Mm -hmm. If you're not bleeding, you're not leading. Every leader that I know, doesn't matter which platform they might be on, doesn't matter how many TV channels they might be on, doesn't matter if they've got a gazillion Twitter followers and Instagram and Facebook, and doesn't matter how many books they sell, they all have lives of pain. The challenge is that they cannot talk about it. They cannot talk about it because the environment that we're serving in now it's very hostile. It's a hostile environment. And anything that you say out of a sense of transparency can be seen as a weakness and can be capitalized by, you know, all kinds of people out there. So, uh, but I have the real privilege and honor to sit down with these world-class, huge leaders one-on-one -on -one in their living rooms, in their offices, over coffee, dinner, lunch, and spend hours, literally hours, as the two of us talking. And so I can talk about them in the way I'm talking, in fact, in a more transparent manner than they can simply because there's so much more at stake. 
but leaders are bleeding. But if you're not bleeding, you're not leading. There'll be blood all everywhere. And uh, I always encourage people to say, hopefully there's more blood, their blood than your blood, but there <laughs> will be blood. <laughs> there shall be blood. You also yeah. have a... Uh, you know, every, oh, go, go ahead. You make every change you make is a bloody change. Mm. So people who heard me in England and UK just need to know I did not curse right then. I'm talking <laughs> about literal blood. <laughs> Go ahead. You also have a uh, a formula in the book. You say growth equals change, change equals loss, loss equals pain, thus growth equals pain. Can you uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Surely, growth growth equals change. You, you cannot grow anything without changing it. Uh, and all change is about loss. All change is about loss. Uh, doesn't matter how good the change is, you're still going to lose something. Mm. Uh, and because all loss is about pain, because all loss brings pain with it. So when pastors are leading the churches through change, they are thinking about gains. Everything that they say, they, talk, they put that spin on it, make it sound wonderful. It is all about gains. But let me tell you, 99% of people listening to, to, them, to you are thinking about loss. So mm. you can move from one location to another. You may move from a storefront to a church of your own. But just know you're going to be losing because some people got saved. People have memories from that place. Mama got baptized over there. Daddy got saved over there. My children were married over there. Uh, you know, people have memories of everything. So you cannot, you cannot change without a sense of loss. And most leaders, when they're leading change, forget to acknowledge debrief the loss that people are going through. Once you do that, then you can understand that loss will bring pain. And that is why well-meaning people will resist uh, change because they don't want to lose whatever they perceive their loss to be. Mm, that's worth the you price know? of admission right there. That is deep <laughs> insight. So, well, so is, that's where we go with this whole thing of saying, uh, if you're going to grow, you're going to have pains. We call them growing pains. And you can, ne you can never move from point A to point B without giving up something. You've you got to give up something. I'm talking to you right now, and I'm giving up 30 minutes of my time. And I'm not saying that as a sacrifice. I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. I'm simply saying that all of us give up. Every yes is pregnant with a no. Mm. To say yes to this uh podcast i've had to say no to something else that i wanted to do mm. and and so once we we understand that every yes is pregnant with a no you have to say no to say yes now you start understanding the pain that you have to go through and so when you have to say a lot of no's to get one yes the pain increases mm. it's awesome and you know one of the things that you mentioned in the book that you touched on earlier was called root cause analysis. What is the root cause analysis? You know, what is the root cause of what I'm feeling? And you really talk to the to the leader or the church planner about going, uh, you know, not numbing the pain, but actually look what's causing this pain so that they can deal with it. Um, can you talk about how you apply the root cause analysis to say church planning? You know, there's a, there's a school of thought out there that talks about leading from your dark side. Uh, leading from your dark side means that we, uh, areas of our weaknesses, we become dysfunctionally strong in those areas. Uh, areas that uh, 
we preach a lot about might be the areas that we're struggling most with. Uh, areas that uh, we don't want to talk about are areas that uh, we are not totally convinced one way or the other. And so what we do as a church planter, if we're leading from a dark side might be, hey, I'm going to, I'm at the church on staff here, but I think I can do better than my senior pastor. I can show them how to grow the church. Or it could be out of frustration. You have had ideas and those ideas have not come to fruition uh, in your local setting. And so, uh, but as a church planter, you'll be free to do all of those things. It could be that your best friend started a church and they are doing really well. And now you want to start a church. I'm not saying that those are the motivations. I'm saying if you're not careful, at least have the integrity, internal integrity, to look introspectively within ourselves and say, what is really motivating me to do what I'm doing? Is it really all God or is some of it uh, just my own dysfunctions? So mm -hmm. the humanity, mm -hmm. the humanity has to be acknowledged. You know, there's the dignity of man and the depravity of man. Once we acknowledge both of them, I think we can live a healthy lifestyle. But uh, the dignity says God has saved us, but depravity says he saved us from. That's from sort of depravity and the dignity. Uh, and what if we're not careful with, we will just uh, qualify the dignity portion of it and not realize that there is that uh, inner man. I love Romans chapter 7 in which uh, Paul unpacks his struggle with himself on the inside. He says, I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know what's righteous. I know what's unrighteous. I know what is uh, fruitful, what is unfruitful. And I end up doing the wrong thing. And he ends up saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Mm. And that word wretched in the Greek has the connotation as the word picture of a Roman wrestling match. Uh, do, you, do you all remember when you were growing up, we would be wrestling on the floor in the living room with our buddy or with our cousin or something like that? And after five, seven minutes of that, both of us would be kind of flopping on the floor, giving up, uh, you know, the sighing. Sure, <laughs> yeah. no, no. That is the picture there that Paul was saying to us in Romans chapter 7. And, and I just appreciate that so very much because it allows me to know that uh, I'm uh, perfect only because he makes me perfect. His grace is sufficient. But I have to also understand. I have to also uh, realize that at my core, there's nothing good about me except he makes me who he wants me to be. Mm. Mm. Powerful, man. Well, for my last uh, question for you, what are the you talk a bit and and you don't hear guys mentioning this a lot this this was a common phrase particularly through a lot of the the writings of the of the men of the past men of history men who have been uh used mightily by god um you could go down the 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 list you know charles spurgeon um you know john calvin i mean you could just go through all these guys and look at their trials and look at times like craig rochelle and the other leaders you mentioned where they were broken. And you talk about the effects of being broken by God. Uh, and of course, Tozer famously said that God can't really use a man until he's hurt him deeply. Mm. Um, what are the effects of being broken in ministry? I think it makes you a better leader. It gives you not just sympathy, but empathy. It allows you to relate to humanity. Uh, so many preachers, if they're not careful, but get this lofty uh, sense of theology in which they are not, uh, they have no perspective of what uh, people in the church might be going through. 
in in my book, I talk about the four steps uh, that every every Bible character went through and every leader goes through, and then that order: declaration, distress, development, and demonstration. So, declaration when God calls you, the church planter, to go start a church. When you hear Him audibly, or you hear Him uh, scripturally, or you hear Him. Uh, uh, in your prayer life, or you hear him prophetically. I don't. Doesn't matter which genre you might be with, but uh, you hear him. You have your declaration in your life. You know that is God. And immediately after that, number two comes distress. Every Bible character, including Jesus, right after his baptism, goes through distress. And then comes development. The purpose of distress is to develop you, and finally it leads to demonstration. So unless people are willing to acknowledge that, understand that, see that as the pathway to where God is taking you, most leaders go AWOL between distress and development. And that is the time that they have to be, they have to know that I'm so close to demonstration. If I'll just hang in there, be able to see the demonstration God has for me. Mm. Well, we're just about uh, out of time here, uh, Sam. So one of the things that we like to, to close with, we've got a famous question we like to ask, and uh, we actually hear from people all the time if we don't ask it. So, it, it you know, we got the gun to our head. We did say there would be blood on this podcast. So <laughs> it does tie in with our all question. Right. Our final Go question is this. If you were to get into a physical fist fight between you and John Maxwell, who would win? Well, he's a much older man. <laughs> yeah, so come on. <laughs> have to let him win. I would you have know, to let a, him win. Out of, out of great reverence, respect, honor, and celebration, I would just let him swing in the air and fall out. <laughs> oh, I dig it. That is the best. That is the best one I've heard where a guy acknowledges the other guy to win, but he says, I'll let him win. I dig it. I love it. That was good. That we, was good. we were trying to think of someone who is like your equal. And uh, you mentioned Seth Godin in the book. And we're like, well, that's not fair because anyone can lick that guy. He's all like 90 pounds. So we couldn't, we, we, we put you against a heavyweight. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, look, uh, Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate having you on. I just want to remind all of our listeners, they can get a copy of the book. It's called Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth, Samuel R. Chand. And you can get that Amazon.com, wherever books are sold. Uh, again, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, an honor. And all the best to you and church planters. Make it happen. That's it. All right, Arnold, go ahead and sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.